Friends in Christ, may the Lord be with you. Welcome to North Holland Reformed Church. Whether you are gathered in the sanctuary or online, we celebrate the joy of the Lord being our strength this day. As we come to this day, we are two weeks away from Easter, and so in two weeks we'll be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord. And that is good, it's exciting. The spring weather reminds us that, that new life is on its way. Uh, similarly, next week is Palm Sunday, and so one thing that we're doing uh, next week for Palm Sunday is we've got um, palm branches that have been kind of pushed into the shape of a cross, and so next week we're going to have those out for you to pick up if you're on your way in person. Um, it'll be an object lesson, something that we will hold on to, and it's a reminder that we hold on to hope. Um, but if you're going to be online next week, and you know that already, um, just know that Monday through Thursday from 9 to 3, um, we will have them set on the pillar by the office door. So if you know you're going to be gone next week or you're going to be online, um, swing by this coming week sometime Monday through Thursday and pick up one of those palm branches to hold on to so that you too can have the object lesson for next week's sermon. So we look forward to that for Palm Sunday is just leading the way right towards Easter. Um, have an update from Casas Por Cristo. I want to call Rachel Demblaker up for that. As uh, I had a great turnout on Friday. I don't want to steal too much of your thunder, though, on uh, what we have to share. So thanks, Rachel. One more step. One more step. Thanks. Okay, yeah. There we go. You, that makes you look better on camera. Oh, well, I was thinking you wanted me just a little taller. You can be taller than me. That's great. Good morning. Okay, Friday, you guys. We were expecting 40, 45 cars um, for our drive-in, for our, um, our fundraiser for Casa Por Cristo. We tripled that. <laughs> we made over $3,000 for our mission trip. Thank Thanks you so much, North Holland. <laughs> Hundreds of hamburgs. We ran out of cinnamon rolls about 45 minutes in, so I apologize. I know. I apologize <laughs> to everyone who did not get a cinnamon roll. We're talking about doing cinnamon rolls maybe soon. RCYF Car Wash, where's Dave? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Um, our June trip to Casas, we actually also got our family assigned to us on Friday right before uh, the drive-in started. It's a young family with a four-year-old boy. Um, right now, they are living in a room with four other people, a room, not a house, a room. So they are just really excited for this blessing and just to bless this young family um, as they start their way in life. And thank you so much for your support. It was a fun evening. Um, for those who did get all the food they wanted, we're so glad. Those who didn't, we're so sorry. And come see the car wash. We'll have more cinnamon rolls for you. Um, Casa's team, if we could just have a quick meeting in the higher grounds area, Lana needs to get some information for you or from you um, just for the trip for our tickets. But thank you. Very thank good. you so much for your support. Thanks, Rachel. Um, I will say there was no one on roller skates, but the food was still very good. And I do think the cinnamon rolls at the car wash just seems like a really good idea for anyone who, you know, missed out on one. But we, nonetheless, that's a good sign. Whenever, whenever we run out of something, that means we had the turnout. I love to hear that that was triple of what was expected. Wonderful, wonderful. 
Um, just one other thing, just to, just to save the date um, for something else in June, um, just a, a camping trip for RCYF and Riot Boys. Um, and so, and if you're, uh, um, if you have a, if you are or have one in your family, a boy who's going into Riot next year, um, June 11 through 13, um, Dave Rock on behalf of RCYF and Eric Mast on behalf of Riot are getting um, just some details together. So save the date for a little camping weekend, June 11 through 13, um, for fellowship to be shared for RCYF and Riot boys. One other just uh, update, another note of gratitude today um, is from RCYF. They did another uh, pop can run yesterday. Um, so the pop cans and bottles getting dropped off um, back, by the, uh, back by the pole barn has been a really great continuous fundraiser. And yesterday alone was another $650 for RCYF. Um, that's awesome any year. It's especially great on the year that they're headed to, our, to Eagle Crest Alaska Mission uh, this summer. So um, thank you for just keep dropping those off, um, and we are grateful for that. And I heard the count is um, just, in the, just in the deposits returned. That fundraiser for RCF has raised over $2,000, um, which is a huge amount. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, we rejoice that we even have a pole barn to put them in, and uh, we just watch as Pop Can Mountain grows and grows, and then RCYF uh, takes them all back, and then we start all over again. So thanks for your continued support there. As we worship together, um, will you stand at this time um, and greet those around you in the name of our Lord and Je Savior Jesus Christ. Friends, hear these words from Psalm 24 as our call to worship. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For the Lord has founded the world upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in idols or swear by false gods. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you and we ask that we see your face and that you make your face to shine upon us as we seek your face, O God of Jacob. As we sing together this morning, may it be with praise in our hearts. May you bring sincerity from our hearts to our lips in the praise that we give to you. May we come to you with clean hands and pure hearts, not of our own merit, but washed in your blood, O Jesus, that we celebrate in two weeks on Easter Sunday, that you shed your blood for us and rose again for our salvation. So may we worship you together today. May we remember that the earth is yours, O Lord, and all that is in it, the world and all who live in it, as we raise our voices with those who worship you around the world.
In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Our first song this morning is Come Thou Fount, and so as we sing those words of Come Thou Fount of every blessing, tune thy heart to sing thy praise. May we tune our hearts to sing God's praises through Come Thou Fount. be seated. As we come before our Lord and God in worship, we also come knowing what is true of us, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, says Romans 3.23. And so we do come together as people who are humbled by the amazing grace of God's love and also humbled by the honesty in our hearts that we have fallen short in word, in thought, in action. We have not measured up to the standard of righteousness, which is God alone. Yet we come in a time of confession, knowing full well that God's grace is yearning for us. So we come in confession, knowing and admitting that we have sinned, and also giving thanks to God whom we come to for a measure of grace. With this posture of heart in mind, Will you join me in prayer? O Lord, our God, we come before you knowing that you and you alone 
are the righteous judge. Yet our hearts are often inclined to help you out with the judging when maybe we think we can judge a little bit better than you can. We proclaim your love to all people, knowing full well that there is no favoritism in you. Yet our hearts want to put people in rank and order, from least to greatest, holier to less holy, more lovable and less lovable, more useful to us and less useful to us. Lord, your mercies are new every morning, and we sing, great is your faithfulness, amazing is your grace, O God. And yet, we do well as your people to meditate on your love and forgiveness, knowing that we sometimes find it hard to forgive others. We find it hard to forgive others the way that you have forgiven us so freely and yet so costly. Our hearts are quick to point out who is a hypocrite, who is a liar, who is a cynic, or who is a cheat, so that it is easier to dismiss them. You are perfect in righteousness and integrity, O Lord. Yet we know that we are often tempted by shortcuts to treat freedom as release from responsibility instead of as a call to love you in full obedience. We ask that you move in our hearts, O God, that we can truly love our neighbor as ourself, the way you have loved us and the way you have taught us to love. Allow our forgiveness to be free and full-hearted as you have done and not begrudgingly insincere. Protect us from comparing our righteousness to that of our neighbor and instead bring our attention always back to you as the only standard of holiness, righteousness, and perfection. In doing so, may we truly marvel at your goodness. May we face the sins of our heart and mind honestly and all the more celebrate your amazing grace that you would save a wretch like me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Friends, we come to confess that we have sin and we also celebrate the truth that as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us, that we receive freely the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and that all who are in Christ no longer face any condemnation. And so we're going to sing that in celebration as a song of response through the words of amazing grace. Sing them well, for they are familiar in, in voice and in heart, and sing them as a prayer of gratitude for the grace that God has so lavishly poured out upon us. Let's stand and sing together, amazing grace.
Friends, you may be seated, except for our three-year-old through third graders who will head down to children and worship at this time. So three-year-old through third graders, um, as you make your way down to your worship station, I invite you to find your teachers and helpers back there. And as we continue in worship here upstairs, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. The word of the week is resolute. As we think of Luke 9, 51 through 56, we're going to see Jesus turn towards Jerusalem in the same way that we're turning even closer now towards Easter Sunday. As we make that turn, there's just a few verses of something that happens along the way. And so as we continue in this journey of Lent, as we follow Jesus to the cross, to the grave, and to the empty grave of his resurrection, so we follow him today in Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. But before we read God's word together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. And we do this because we are mortal people. And we need God's grace to come in and fill our lives and that we ask God week after week for this moment to be one where the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts to connect us to God's word. So as we do so, let's pray together. God, may your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Show us your ways that we may know you even better, that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. God, illumine your word to us that it may be a bright light that shines clearly upon our hearts and upon our path. Give light to us, O God, in all times and in all places. Amen. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. At the same time, as, as the time... At the same time, as, as the time... I think there's just one of me here. Okay. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem... And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever set off resolutely in a particular direction? Not necessarily even just a road trip, but spiritually, have you ever set out resolutely with a fixed goal in mind, something that you are pursuing with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. In this season of Lent, 
we encourage um, just to make this 40 days a, a time of fasting or perhaps of moderation. Maybe you set out on Ash Wednesday at the beginning of Lent resolutely. And maybe over time, that resolution and fervor has faded out just a little bit. Maybe one or two cheats on our fast became a, well, let's give it up altogether. Or maybe the discipline that we sought to take on, a, a spiritual practice to, meant to just focus our eyes on Jesus as we get closer to Lent, as we get closer to Easter. Maybe as time went off, the resolute excitement that we had at the beginning has faded a little bit and we don't find ourselves doing any more intentional spiritual practice than what we were at the beginning before Ash Wednesday. We set off resolutely at New Year's, maybe into Lent, maybe after a birthday. And it is human nature that our resolution might fade a bit over time. The reminder that I would always give about anything that we take on, any, any fast or practice that, that we're using to focus us on Jesus, is to remember that every day is a new day. And the analogy that I will continue to use until I get a better one is messing up is like burning a batch of cookies. You don't stop making cookies forever, you just make a new batch. But resolution may fade. We get discouraged because we don't feel like we're arriving at the end goal in the way that we want to. My encouragement there would also be the way Jesus set out resolutely, our resolution should be for spiritual growth, not for spiritual arrival. If we only find spiritual arrival, some state of transcendence as the only worthwhile goal, we will never get very far because we will be so discouraged but to celebrate growth and progress along the way. To celebrate every faithful step that brings us closer to Jesus and to recognize the steps that we took backwards as part of our journey, but that the steps of faithfulness are what are counting the most. We are people who should seek growth, not arrival, because on this side of heaven, we will just never be perfect. We seek growth, not arrival, because we are not perfect. But Jesus was and is perfect. And Jesus, setting his face towards Jerusalem, his resolute turn towards Jerusalem, is set on arrival at that place. We have to give credit where credit is due for translations that, that differ and vary. In the NIV that we use from the pulpit, it says Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, that he, he turned towards Jerusalem. In some older translations, particularly the King James, it would say Jesus set his face on Jerusalem or he fixed his gaze on Jerusalem. Now he's too far away to literally see the city, but he has set his face upon it, meaning his compass bearing is Jerusalem oriented. Not because Jerusalem as itself is, is the only place where God can dwell or the holy city, but because Jesus knew what he was setting out for. Jesus set his face upon Jerusalem. And when he set his face on Jerusalem, he set his face 
on us, on you and me, knowing what this was all about. Now, if you follow the the pathway that Jesus takes from this point in Luke 9 and trace the cities on a map all the way to Jerusalem, you'll see there's some back and forth that the disciples do. But that ultimately, there is nothing that is deviating away from Jerusalem. We're getting closer and closer all the time. Jesus set his face on Jerusalem. Or just as accurately, he set his face on you. Because Jesus was heading to Jerusalem not to preserve the architecture or to christen, quite literally christen, historical sites. But he was setting his face upon us and upon our salvation. Luke 9.51 tells us, as the time approached, as the time approached for him to be taken up into heaven, for him to be taken up, for his ascension. Because Jesus knows full well what it means to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is resolute in turning towards the city where he knows his suffering and his death await him. But that is not the end of the story. And Jesus sets his face upon Jerusalem resolutely because he knows that death is not the end of the story for him. And he goes there so that death will not be the end of the story for us. Jesus sets his face on Jerusalem because he loves us, because he so loved the world that he came into the world not to condemn it, but to save the world through his blood, through his death and resurrection, because death is not the end. The cross is empty, the grave becomes empty, because Jesus will rise again and he will ascend. The way Luke 9:51 is written reminds us that Jesus knows that he's headed not just towards his death, but also towards his ascension, towards being taken up into heaven. It is a painful death and suffering that he will face, but it will also be for the glory of his resurrection and his ascension that he will push on towards the goal. Jesus sets his face on Jerusalem, knowing that his disciples will be scattering and abandoning him and even denying him. Jesus sets his face on Jerusalem resolutely nonetheless, knowing full well that the scattering of a few disciples for a few days will lead to the great commission that every tribe and language and tongue may be made disciples of. Jesus is setting his face towards Jerusalem resolutely, knowing that it is a bitter sweet both and, but that good wins out in the end. He heads towards his death, knowing that it is his resurrection that he also moves towards. And this was done for you, for me, and for all of us. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for or set his face upon Jerusalem. But then something interesting happens. Something that if we're familiar with, the, with Holy Week, with the period of, East, of Palm Sunday to Easter, we might remember that Jesus eventually goes into Jerusalem and is accordingly greeted there. But this is a different sort of greeting. Verse 52, Jesus sent messengers on ahead as he will do in the future. 
And they went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed towards Jerusalem. This is a great contrast to Palm Sunday where Jesus sends messengers in and everything just kind of works out. In this case, they are not greeted, they are not welcomed because they're going into a village of Samaritans. Jesus and his disciples are Jews headed to Jerusalem. This village of Samaritans, the Samaritans do not worship in Jerusalem. In fact, they don't associate with those who would worship in Jerusalem. In John chapter 4, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, she was surprised that Jesus was speaking to her because Jews and Samaritans do not associate with each other. What is literally spoken there is, do not use the same dishes. This is, imagine going into a restaurant and just wanting to double check that there had been no people of a particular ethnicity or race there because if they were, well, you'd need separate dishes that had never been used by one of those people. Jews and Samaritans do not associate with each other. And so all of the customs of hospitality, of going into a village, of being welcomed and greeted, do not exist because the Samaritans have no need of these people who are headed into Jerusalem. The Samaritans and the Jews have a bitter history and they do not think well of each other and they would not be raised to think well of each other either. And yet, Jesus goes through a Samaritan village. He goes up to it and is not greeted. What's the response? The response, of course, we could think of how we might be polite. We might think that we would be like Jesus to move forward. But James and John, of course, have none of that. James and John, if you remember back to the calling of the disciples, James and John are called the sons of thunder. Not for any particular reason in their family history or name, but perhaps Jesus is appropriately calling out their personalities, calling James and John the sons of thunder. And when they are not welcomed into this Samaritan village, when the Samaritans turn up their noses and turn away from Jesus and his disciples, James and John are like, all right, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and incinerate them? Do you want us to wipe their village off the map for this insult that they've paid us? Do you want us to finish them out of history? Do you want us to get rid of them? James and John are thundering. And they are doing so in every fiber of their being, believing that they are right to think that calling down fire from heaven is an appropriate response. After all, they could tell themselves, we are good Jews. These Samaritans are idolaters. Imagine Jesus walking along with these disciples. Jesus who's trying to uh, teach and preach of a new kingdom. Jesus who has set his face towards Jerusalem to save both Jew and Gentile. And then here's James and John wanting to call down fire from heaven because the Samaritan village wasn't going to provide a bed and breakfast. James and John. It seems a little bit drastic, doesn't it? But consider that from 2 Kings 17, James and John know full well that the people in Samaria 
they're not faithful worshipers. They know they're not like us. They don't know to worship at Jerusalem. They don't even follow God's laws. This goes all the way back to when the king of Assyria brought people out of 2 Kings 17, 24 tells us, out of Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharim, and settled in the towns of Samaria. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. And when they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord. There's more to that chapter if we were studying 2 Kings, but these are people even of different races living in Samaria. And they don't have a history of worshiping as faithfully as the Jews have. They don't worship in Jerusalem. They put up their places of worship in the mountains, in the high places, which the Jews would call idolatry and which the Samaritans would call idolatry in Jerusalem. James and John have not been raised to think kindly of Samaritans. It's not that they were raised to be polite and then one day woke up and said, you know what, I don't like Samaritans. It's that they were raised to think that Samaritans were a little bit less than them. By every modern definition even, James and John are a little bit racist towards Samaritans because Samaritans are those other people. We don't even have to speak kindly of them. In fact, there might be some relief among the disciples that they're not staying in a Samaritan village after all. James and John are walking with the savior of the world and speaking of their cousins by ancestral lineage are ready to call down fire from heaven. How did they arrive at this conclusion? How did they think that this was the measured response? And, and, and before we use James and John and, and push down on them, let's also remember that there are some elements of faith and some reasons why what they are saying makes sense. For one, they believe that if they call down fire from heaven, it will really happen. They trust Jesus and they believe that if they say it in Jesus' name, that God the Father will send fire from heaven and burn away the Samaritan village. They have great faith and trust in this. And also, they didn't come up with this idea on their own. This idea came from somewhere else in Scripture to call down fire from heaven on Samaritans. It comes from the prophet Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 1. Some of your Bibles might even note in the footnotes that, that some manuscripts of Luke include that James and John would have said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them as Elijah did? Now, overall, we don't think that that's original or authentic to the text. So it's noted in a footnote, but probably the reason that that footnote is even in our Bibles today about as Elijah did is because someone somewhere along the line had to try to make sense of what James and John were saying and explain it to others. It makes sense from 2 Kings chapter 1 when King Ahaziah in Samaria falls and injures himself and he is sick in bed. And first thing that happens, he needs to call upon a prophet. He wants to call upon the prophets of Baal to consult Baal to ask, am I gonna live or am I gonna die? So Ahaziah, the king, sends out messengers to Baal. And they're intercepted by this man in a, in a furry coat and a leather belt around his waist who says, what are you doing? 
Is Ahaziah consulting Baal because there is no king in, there is no God in Israel? Surely because of this, he will die. So the messengers got their answer. They go back to Ahaziah. They tell him as much. Ahaziah does not take very kindly to being told that he will die. And so he asks his messengers, what kind of man said this to you? A guy with a furry coat and a leather belt around his waist. And Ahaziah goes, ah, it was Elijah the Tishbite. And so he sends a captain with 50 armed men to go and bring Elijah to him. And they say, if you're a man of God, and Elijah says, if I'm a man of God, then fire will come down from heaven. And it does. And Elijah on that mountain sees the captain and his 50 men with fire from heaven and they're all killed. So Ahaziah sends another captain with 50 more men and the same thing happens. Come with us, man of God. If I'm a man of God, fire from heaven. Again, two captains, two groups of 50 soldiers. So finally, a third goes and says, please, Elijah, will you stop it with the fire from heaven? Subtext, we don't want to be here any more than anybody else does. Don't do this. And then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, go with them. And Elijah goes and tells King Ahaziah what he said the whole time in 2 Kings chapter 1, which is, why are you consulting Baal? Is there no God in Israel? Because of this, you will surely die. And he does. It is a weird incident in scripture. And it leaves us with some questions that we might ask of, why did those hundred troops have to die? Why did those two captains have to die? What point was proved by all of this? Or was it proved in the right way? We can wrestle with those questions, but at, at some level or another, it should hopefully unsettle us a little bit in 2 Kings chapter 1, just to wonder, was this the only way that this could happen? There were no other options than fire from heaven? Fast forward a long ways, centuries forward, to Jesus at the outside of a Samaritan village with James and John. And James and John, who were at the transfiguration, who saw Elijah recently, are all excited, maybe had Elijah at the top of their memory. And so when the Samaritans don't welcome them, James and John can think of Elijah calling down fire from heaven. And maybe we're just a little bit too eager for that kind of judgment to be poured out from God. What does Jesus do? Jesus rebukes them. We're not told what he said. We're not told how he said it. We're simply told that after they threatened to call down fire from heaven to destroy the Samaritan village, Jesus turned and rebuked him. And then he and his disciples went on to another village. James and John, a little too eager, and by no fault of their own, but by their upbringing, did not think highly of Samaritans. They would be offended if, someone, if a Samaritan thought of calling down fire from heaven on good people like them. But they don't think too much about calling down fire from heaven on their enemies. And in fact, not even enemies, but just those who didn't welcome them. People that they were raised to think were just a little bit less than they were. Who would you call fire from heaven down upon? 
If you could take God's righteous seat as judge for just a moment, or if you knew that fire from heaven would come down at your command, who would you want to call down fire from heaven upon? Probably some people that we think a little bit less of. Some people that maybe we could say, "Eh, they've made their choices. This is righteous. This is okay. People who think differently. People who are other than us. When it comes to the other, it would be easy to think about calling down fire from heaven. In this particular case between Jews and Samaritans, it is race-related. And we find that the ways in which we're brought up can have an effect on us. And Jesus rebukes that. Jesus, who came into the world not to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Jesus rebukes this impulse of James and John, this way in which they think they're proving their holiness and zeal, but doing it in all of the wrong ways. Jesus rebukes them. I wonder if the correction happens consistently enough if we pay attention to to just honestly how anti-racist Jesus is of the fact that this episode happens with the Samaritans. And then in chapter 10, Jesus tells which parable? The story of the good Samaritan. I wonder if James and John were like tugging at the collar a little bit, being like, okay, we get it. We messed up. We shouldn't judge the Samaritans the way we do. Jesus tells the story where the Samaritan is the hero right after they've been rejected by the Samaritans. James and John would maybe get the idea. But they got that idea from Jesus' teaching. But then in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, we get the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers. And when Jesus did this, if you're familiar with, usually the main point of the story is that of the 10 lepers who were healed, how many come back to say thank you to Jesus? One. And that one was a Samaritan for James and John to see again the faith of the Samaritans and God's love for the Samaritans that they were healed by Jesus. That Jesus spoke with the woman at the well in John 4, that she's amazed that Jesus, a Jew, is even talking to her. Jesus seems to have a soft spot for the Samaritans or so it would seem so to the disciples and even to us, depending on how we read the scriptures. But the reality is that Jesus just has a soft spot for all people. And Jesus knows the hard spots in our hearts, where maybe judgment and prejudice take the first in our hearts. And instead, Jesus pushes against that in his teaching and in his actions. Jesus has a love for the Samaritans and the Jews and the Michiganders and all people. Jesus is very forgiving after being rejected. Jesus, who says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, even at the moment of his crucifixion. It would seem that sometimes in our zeal to defend God's honor, we might be reminded that 
God's feelings are not hurt quite so easily as we would assume. James and John were rebuked and they moved on. They were not shamed, they were not dragged over the coals for time and time again, although I still would think that Good Samaritan story would, you know, make them feel a little squirmy. They went on to another village. Jesus continued to teach and to preach and to heal, to perform miracles and to feed people. All of this happened because Jesus has already resolutely set his face upon Jerusalem. Not because it's a city that the Samaritans don't like, but because at Jerusalem through his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles like us would know the salvation of the world. So friends, be resolved. Be convicted. Have depth of, of conviction and even some passion in your bones. But with your passion, have the compassion of Christ. And with your zeal, be very careful to make sure that your zeal is not the misplaced zeal of James and John. Friends, if you were to set your face in any one direction, make sure that it is set to love God and to love neighbor. And to remember, who is my neighbor? Well, we don't get much choice in that. Who is it that I'm allowed to speak well of and who can I speak ill of? Not much room for that either. Where James and John might show a little bit of prejudice or racism, Jesus does not. Jesus corrects it and continues on. Set your face upon Jerusalem with resolute compassion, with zeal for the Lord, knowing Christ's great love. Set your face for Jerusalem and one faithful step at a time, make our way to the foot of the cross where we celebrate that our Lord died for us and for all people, rose again for us and for all people, and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living, the Jews, the Gentiles, the Samaritans, and the dead, both now and forever. Amen. As we go into a time of prayer, we have a few prayer updates to offer this morning. Um, there's one prayer quilt in the back, and so we invite you, if you're in person, to uh, go and tie a knot symbolizing your prayers offered. Um, otherwise, if you're online, say a prayer for Butch Weller today. Um, Steve and Carla Rohorst are requesting this prayer for Carla's dad, Butch, who had a heart attack and following that, a quadruple bypass surgery. So we want to surround Butch in our prayers and for his recovery and healing. Um, we also have a few other updates um, today. It's a busy week um, in the life of our congregation. Um, as we speak, Mike and Kim Claussen are on their way to Mayo Clinic for uh, Kim begins a series of appointments tomorrow. And so we wanna pray for traveling mercies for them today and also for some direction and a re restored uh, treatment plan for Kim. Belinda Klein um, has surgery tomorrow as her cancer has returned. 
So I want to pray for Russ and Belinda. Um, these are uh, parents of... Um, I'm, I'm, th I'm, I'm mixing up names here. Um, Cassandra Zivel um, and Brandon. Um, and we're also thinking of the Zivels today um, because Brandon's mother, Janice, um, did have her surgery as planned and um, updates are out that things are going well in recovery. We want to pray for her pain um, as well as for restored healing. Another update that we had received, um, Luis Skolton, this is Eric Skolton's mother, um, Eric and Leah Skolton, um, on Friday had a significant stroke. Um, and the good news right now is that some of the blood in her brain has dissipated, um, and yet there's plenty that remains unknown at this time. So Luis remains at Butterworth in Grand Rapids, um, and this will be a time of waiting for Eric and Leah and for the family um, for Luis. So we want to pray for Luis Skolton in her healing as well. As we um, lift all of these prayer requests before the Lord, let us set our faces towards Jerusalem. Not meaning towards the city, but towards Christ's heart and compassion for all people as we pray together. Let's pray. God, we come before you grateful for much in our lives. We come before you first and foremost being grateful for your great love of us, that you have a love for all people that includes us, that your grace and mercy shine upon us, that your face is made to shine upon us, and that we are made righteous because of your sacrifice and love for us. We come before you with gratitude for the life within this congregation, for the fundraiser for Casas Pa Cristo, for the family that they'll be building their house for, for traveling mercies and for the generous support of this congregation and community as there is financial giftedness to bless that group upon their way. We give thanks for our tithes and offerings that continue to sustain ministry here at North Holland we give you thanks for our day-in, day-out lives that we may care for one another and in so doing, be a church and a community of believers that share one another's best interests. We pray especially today for Mike and Kim as they travel. We pray that you bless them on their, on their way to the Mayo Clinic. We pray that this week ahead of five to seven days of testing and appointments and procedures may bear good fruit for Kim's ongoing restoration of health and strength. We give you thanks that Janice's surgery went well. We pray for both the control of pain now and for healing in the future. We pray for Belinda tomorrow as her and Russ head east today for this surgery to be effective and for Russ and Belinda both as they enter into another bout with cancer. We pray for Amanda Westhouse and Gage and the Kuman family as they enter into another round with cancer. We pray for strength for Amanda. And we pray for gracious and blessed support from all who surround them and their family. Lord, we pray for Bruce Weller, Carla's Rohorst's father who recovers 
Lord, we pray that he may have you in his heart and that there may be a closeness of family that results from this heart attack and, and surgery. Give him strength and healing. Lord, we pray for those who continue to recover. For Kevin, Heil, for Kara Kuman and Sandy Papama, that they may be walking well. For Betty Garcia, that her progress of healing after donating her kidney continues to be well. Lord, for Gayla, Doster, for Reuben Corey, Steve Essenberg, for their continued and chronic pain, we pray for relief. We pray for Pastor Dewey Thompson as he recovers from the surgery to remove the kidney and for any subsequent procedures needed coming out of this. For Pastor Dewey and Deb, we pray a measure of patience and peace in the time of waiting. Lord, we give you thanks for the ministry that we have with the school across the street. We pray that it may be able to increase and flourish as we go into another semester. And in the meantime, we pray for Principal Kevin Westrate as he recovers from his heart valve surgery. God, we lift all of these requests before you, not only in this moment here as we worship together, but also throughout this week. Lord, may it be in word and thought and deed that we support our brothers and sisters. God, we also ask that you put it within our hearts to be people of consistent prayer. That as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing, that we may be reminded that our life of prayer is not limited to this place any more than worship is limited to Jerusalem, but that wherever we go, we may have your heart within us to pray for our brothers and sisters. And as we pray for each one, may we also be quick to be like that Samaritan leper who is cleansed by Jesus and who came back to say thank you. And so, Lord, we do come with thanks and gratitude for prayers answered. As we think of those with chronic pain, we then also look and think of Steve, S and Steve Rohorst for the healing that you brought to Steve's life. We give you thanks. And we do not take for granted the answered prayers that we have seen time and time again. Whether it be for Carter Bourne, Howard Nan Walters' great-grandson, or others who have gone before us and we have heard good news. May we be people of fervent prayer and also people who are eager to share and celebrate good news. And may the good news of the gospel for us always be that you, Jesus, set your face towards Jerusalem. You healed Samaritans. You did all of this because you were sent into the world to save it through yourself. And so we give you thanks again for your blood shed upon the cross, for our sins, and for your rising again that is to us our salvation. May we never take for granted the good news for all people and may we never take for granted who our neighbor may be that needs to hear this good news, to be loved by us because we love, because you first loved us. Remind us that we are well loved by you and strengthen us to love those around us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
At this time, we'll call um, fourth through twelfth grade. We'll be dismissed to Sunday school, and we'll call Terry Druger and um, Annalyn and Julie um, back up to lead us in our closing song. As our fourth through twelfth graders make their way out, um, and as we prepare to sing, we'll be singing "Holy, Holy, Holy" as our closing song. There's different places that we could put this song in the service. Um, today, we put it as a song of response to remember that Christ alone is holy and that by our own efforts, we would fall short. But through Christ, we are made holy, that we measure against God's perfect standard because of the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. So sing this as a song of response and as a prayer as we remember, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty.
we go from this place today, as we go into our weeks, wherever your feet bring you, may you set your face towards our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has made his face to shine upon us. And so in grace and mercy and peace, be sent out with God's blessing wherever you go and to whoever you meet. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you Christ's everlasting and perfect peace, both now and forever. Amen. We seek to bring glory to God in word, in thought, and in deed. And so let's sing the doxology as our closing song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise God above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Go in peace.